This is Competition Law with Professor Karon Beaton Wells exploring the challenges in competition policy, law, and enforcement. This series looks at the impact of those challenges in the digital economy and on society overall, whether you're a citizen, consumer, or competitor. In this episode, Karon speaks with Morag Bond and Kate Reader, the joint general managers of the ACCC's Digital Platforms Inquiry. Of course, the ACCC recognises that access to data and things like artificial intelligence and development of new services is data-reliant a lot these days, and it's very important. But we also equally think that providing consumers with the choice and the ability to control actually provides consumers the confidence to participate in the digital economy. So we think there is an appropriate balance to be struck there. Here's Karon Beaton-Wells. The recently completed inquiry by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission into digital platforms has taken the world by storm. Hailed as groundbreaking, in the global league table of digital inquiries, this one is a doozy by any measure. The final report is over 600 pages long and it's chock-a-block with analysis and recommendations for fixing what the ACCC regards as having gone wrong in markets dominated by Google and Facebook. Having spoken to Rod Sims, the ACCC chairman, in episode three of the podcast, just as the inquiry had gotten into full swing, I was delighted to be joined for this episode by Morag Bond and Kate Reader. Morag and Kate co-steered the inquiry team And I started by asking them a bit about their backgrounds and their roles in the inquiry. Kate and I are the joint general managers of the Digital Platforms Inquiry. We job shared the role, a management type role. So we work three days a week each. We were fortunate to have a great team working with us and we lead that team looking at the different issues. Morag and I are both lawyers, formerly, and I've spent a number of years at various regulators, including Ofgem, the Office of Rail and Road in the UK and at the ACMA here in Australia. My background is very regulatory. That's why I was very interested in joining the inquiry, particularly for the media-related issues. Generally speaking, I think we've been involved in competition and regulatory agencies for a long time. Yeah, so I've been at the ACCC since 2010, uh, primarily in the mergers area. And before that, I spent 10 years in private practice. I worked in law firms in London, Brussels, and a long time ago in Wellington, New Zealand. So the Commission has really developed considerable capacity in conducting market studies and inquiries of this type. But by any measure, this was a major one. Tell us a bit about the team, how many were dedicated to the inquiry and what the respective skill sets were. The inquiry team was made up of both internal ACCC staff who were very experienced in competition issues as well as some external staff and we also were lucky to have secondees from the ACMA and the Department of Communications and the Arts and we greatly benefited from those secondees. They came to us with a really deep understanding of media industry issues which really was invaluable to us. We also had a number of ex-journalists on staff who were really helpful in understanding how media businesses work and the pressures that journalists were under because while we were looking at media businesses we were also looking at the impact on journalism itself. So we also had lawyers, economists, data analysts, 
we ranged in age. We had a number of very young platform savvy staff as well as a number of really experienced staff who'd run multiple market studies and inquiries before. So we were lucky to have a really wide range of experience and everyone was very enthusiastic and interested in the area, which was great. So it sounds like a real mix. Real mix. And I think we're about 17 or not. Yeah. Yeah. So this is an inquiry that's been hailed around the world as groundbreaking and a world first. Do you think those claims are warranted and what's the basis for them? You know, we really benefited from some of the work that's been done by other agencies, both in Australia and also overseas. I mean, there's been some fantastic work coming out of the UK, the Furman report, that was a great piece of work. The report by Dame Frances Kingcross into media sustainability, also out the UK, that was fantastic. We learned a lot from that as well. And the French study into online advertising. So there's been a lot of work that we've really benefited from and I think we're hoping to really contribute to the ongoing debate. In terms of whether or not it's groundbreaking, I think where it probably is unique is that it really linked those competition and consumer issues. And that's something our chairman, Rod Sims, is really keen to get across, just the relationship between those competition, consumer concerns, including privacy issues and also the media issues. I mean, the media is particularly affected by the growth of digital platforms. So I'm not sure I'd stand behind and say it's groundbreaking and it's this world leading. I think there's a lot of modesty on the part of the team, but we do hope we've contributed to that debate and particularly the linkages between those issues. I think you're right. The sheer compass of the inquiry in terms of the areas of policy and law that were brought in and integrated, as you said, makes it quite unusual, notwithstanding the large number of other inquiries on related topics around the world. Thinking through the intersections between the competition and the consumer issues, including the privacy issues you've highlighted, can you give our listeners a sense of how you see those intersections working, perhaps just an example? A lot of it relates to data. You know, there is the extent to which data is creating barriers to entering these markets. At the same time, data is obviously critical to the business model. And then you sort of move on to the consumer side of it, and the question is whether or not consumers are fully aware of the amount of data that has been connected. And if there is a gap, and we think there is a gap, and consumer knowledge, that's an issue for both privacy law and whether or not our privacy rules are effective. And it's also an issue in terms of consumer law, where there's misrepresentation, whether there's unfair contract terms. There's that linkage there. I think competition typically looks at price effects, but there's also obviously the service or the quality dimension of a product or service. And privacy protection's a part of that. If you're looking at when you're signing up for a platform or perhaps you're comparing whether or not you want to join a particular platform, how your data is used, the extent of any privacy protections afforded to you is, I think, increasingly something that people do wish to turn their minds to. And you can't turn your mind to that unless you're properly informed, unless there is an increased level of transparency around how your data is being collected and being used. Talk to us a bit about the methods that the inquiry employed, because they were wide-ranging, that process of information gathering. And in particular, tell us why the ACCC considered it necessary or helpful to issue some 60 compulsory notices for the production of information because that can be quite unusual in the context of an inquiry like this. 
I think, you know, specifically on the notice point, we were very aware that notices do impose a burden on the parties and we were particularly aware of that in relation to media businesses, obviously large media business like Nine Fairfax and News Limited, for example, have substantial in-house regulatory sections and legal advisors, but a lot of the smaller publications we were speaking to, they don't have that. So we were very conscious when we were talking to them and dealing with them. We do want to get information from them because it's important to understand the impact of digital platforms, particularly on the local and regional news businesses. So we were very concerned to talk to them about what information we need from you, what is the best way to get it. But because we were interested in getting really robust data that we could rely on because the recommendations we make have to be evidence-based. And I think one of the issues that we found, particularly in the news and the media area, is there wasn't a lot of robust data around the number of closures, for example, closures in particular areas or particular types of journalism and whether they were going up or down in this environment. And so we really wanted to have a robust basis on which to have the conversation about how digital platforms had impacted those businesses. And were you not able to get that kind of information voluntarily? Why was it something you needed to compel? There's a couple of things I think that the ACCC and probably other competition authorities face as well is when we rely on people giving us information voluntarily, there is a concern there as to the veracity sometimes of that information. And we're not saying people are necessarily deliberately misleading, but we also want to compare like with like. And it's much simpler for us to rely on information that's been obtained via our statutory powers because they're verifying it's accurate and we're also able to be extremely prescriptive as to how that information has been provided to us. And a lot of the time we're aggregating information and if we aggregate that information, it obviously needs to be obtained on a very consistent basis. I think also too, in some senses, some businesses that we deal with want the comfort of knowing they were compelled to provide that information, particularly if we're dealing with people who have boards who you voluntarily asked us for this, but we don't have the time or the resources to do it. It's a different conversation if you're saying, well, we're going to compel you to provide it. It's also people have concerns about confidentiality and compelling information in that way can sometimes ironically provide them with some comfort. That makes sense. Let's turn to some of the substance of the analysis in the report. Central finding is that Google and Facebook have substantial power in relevant markets. As you would know, that's a finding that is now being consistently made in a number of other inquiries around the world. Was it a heavily contested issue in this inquiry? It was contested by the platforms and I'm sure they will continue. And one of the key issues, I think, for Google is this phrase that competition is only a click away. From our perspective, we think it's important to look at behavioural economics and to look at how people actually act in practice. There is a real concern that even though consumers are able to just click away, they don't do it. And we do think that is relevant. It's not sufficient to be able to just point to that. In relation to social media, I think Facebook's key argument is that they compete in a broader, perhaps entertainment market, or even if there is a social media market, that it includes a lot of platforms such as Pinterest, such as Twitter. TikTok. TikTok, yeah, which we consider are really at the margins. They're really not providing that same service to consumers. And one of the other markets that was identified as relevant in the preliminary report was the so-called news referral services market by which Google and Facebook refer their users to news Mm. content. Now, that was pulled away from in the final report. Why was that seen as necessary? I think we based that 
discussion in the preliminary report on the information we had at the time and post putting that out for discussion, which is one of the really useful things about having an opportunity to do a preliminary report, is we received a lot of further information from a lot of parties, including the platforms themselves. And I think while we're still of the view that there's probably a market for news referral services, it really wasn't necessary for us to reach a concluded view about whether Google and Facebook had substantial market power in this market. But what we did find is that there is clearly a bargaining power imbalance. And when you look at the key recommendation in the report that goes towards that imbalance, and that's the recommendation around the ACMA-approved codes of conduct. That's the Australian Communications and Media Authority. Yes, that's right. And those bargaining power codes, they're based on that imbalance and bargaining power. We did not think you need to reach a certain threshold that there was a substantial degree of market power. But that's not to say that they don't have a substantial degree of market power. I think the other issue with that is we're a time-limited inquiry and this is a very complex issue. And in the time we had, we could have kept going, but we simply just didn't have the time. And that's a really good point because this was one of the issues that went right up to the line and there was a lot of discussion about this issue. Despite the ambivalence you felt about that at the end, there was certainly no ambivalence about the degree of power in their core market spaces, search and social media and even different online advertising markets. Now, you'll be well aware that in other parts of the world, specifically the US, there are some spruiking the solution to this power being one of breaking up the tech giants. But that was a remedy rather fulsomely rejected by the Commission. And in fact, it was only really given cursory treatment relative to some of the other proposed approaches. Why was that? Divestiture was an issue. We did consider it in Chapter 2 of the report for those who make it that far. And News Corp made quite a fulsome submission on this. We did look at, from an economic perspective, whether or not divestiture is something, in theory, that should be advocated for. And the HCC had a number of reservations about that, which we do outline in the report. But the key thing is, I think there needs to be a presumption probably against structural interference in a market. There's lots of reasons that for large companies to develop, either through acquisition or organic growth. And there's benefits of economies of scale, economies of scope, that you will just lose if there is a divestiture. And there's also other related issues. I mean, these markets are so prone to network effects. So even if you did end up with a divestiture, there is a concern that you may end up five years down the track just recreating the beast, so to speak. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but I just think that you've got to recognise that there are these essential characteristics of the market. And also these are very high-tech, fast-moving markets. There's always a risk with structural interference in any market, and we think there's a particular risk in these markets. I think also in the context of the other issues that we were looking at, we didn't necessarily think divestiture would solve, for example, the consumer privacy issues. Mm. And so there's less attractive in that sense. The one specific change you do propose is in respect of Google's default settings mm. and you want Google to extend to Australian users the options it's now going to extend in Europe courtesy of the Android ruling on the part of the European Commission. But you may have seen that what Google has done in response to that ruling in Europe is to indicate it's going to have an auction system and allow other search engines to bid for a limited number of slots on the user choice screen. Do you have any concerns about whether that is in fact going to be counterproductive from a competition point of view? We are aware of that and we've been in contact with the European Commission about that. I can see why that proposal is being put forward. I can see there's a lot of financial benefit to being on that choice screen. You can see that it does make sense for it to go to businesses who value 
that benefit, the ones who value it the most. We are in the more advantageous position that we can watch and see what will happen in Europe, but we are watching very closely how that will play out. In terms of merger control and not allowing power to grow even further through anti-competitive acquisitions, the HFC wants these two companies to voluntarily sign up to a protocol to notify it of certain acquisitions that may exceed a minimum transaction value. Did you have any reservations based on the previous experience of the ACCC in doing these types of protocols? Any reservations about such a highly company-specific regime of notification? We did look to those precedents and for those who aren't aware, five or six years ago, the ACCC did enter into a voluntary arrangements with one of the leading Australian supermarkets when there were particular concerns in that sector. But you asked both of the two supermarkets mm-hmm. and only one signed up. That's right, mm-hmm. yeah. Look, I think we'll see how those negotiations go. We will be conducting those negotiations bilaterally. We are hopeful that Google and Facebook will be receptive to this. We actually don't see it as a particularly controversial recommendation. Australia is one of the few countries in the world without a compulsory merger filing. And all this really does is put Australia on a level footing with most of the other countries. Turning to competition rules relating to conduct and their enforcement, I think there's one sentence in the report that says that the existing goals of the law are readily applicable to digital markets and don't need some reconsideration. And you would be aware that there is a fervent debate in the US and to some extent in Europe about whether or not the goals in terms of a consumer welfare standard are sufficient to cater for the concerns raised by, in particular, the high levels of concentration in digital markets. Was this something that the team considered in any depth because it's not reflected in the report? There was discussion as to the overall goals and the importance of the consumer welfare standard. And I think the ACCC's position is that doesn't need adjustment. The tools are actually very flexible. There are different views as to what consumer welfare standard means. Obviously, you've got the US on one side. That's for sure. And you have other jurisdictions, perhaps maybe more flexible approach. It was something that was considered, but it wasn't something that we focused on in the sense that I think there was quite early on in the inquiry sort of an agreement that these tools are actually quite flexible. That said, we are watching the debate. We've seen a lot of the discussion that's come out of Europe in particular. But the Consumer Welfare Standard, we think it is flexible to take into account non-price considerations, for example, in its enforcement. And dynamic considerations exactly. as well. That's right. But the report does make references throughout to the European Commission cases against Google and also the Bundeskartelands case against Facebook. Both of those sets of cases involved allegations and findings of abuse of dominance. Do you see our abuse of dominance provision in Section 46 as on an equal footing or of the same scope and flexibility as Article 102 in the European Treaty? I think we've got to draw a distinction between the European case law and those Google shopping, the Android case and the most recent AdSense case and that Bundeskartalum case. The Bundeskartalum case, it's an example of an exploitative abuse. And not only that, it's an example of breach of data protection almost be seen as a breach of competition law. That's not a case the ACCC can take. Our case law does not support that approach at all. It just couldn't be dealt with. That said, something similar could be dealt with under potentially and unconscionability provisions. We've recommended an unfair practices provision. So we see that as more 
probably falling within that scope. Mm -hmm. And also the privacy law. We don't see that as a core issue for our Section 46 misuse of market power provisions. The Google Shopping case and the Android case, I think we do see that as something that our Section 46, our equivalent 102, could capture. Uh, Just coming back to the Facebook case in Germany and the exploitative abuse concept, you've referred there to Australia possibly having the scope to deal with the collection and use of data across a range of services under our unfair trading laws, either as they stand currently or as recommended. Rod Sims at the National Press Club said that he thought we had a critical gap in our unfair trading laws and that it was a gap that needed to be filled. What is the gap we're talking about? At the moment, a lot of the focus in terms of that gap has been around those data issues. You've got a situation where unfair contract terms, misrepresentations, there's precedent behind those. They're often quite difficult cases still to establish. And there's a concern that there is a way in which perhaps data is collected, the way it's used, falls within that gap, so to speak. And there's a number of examples in Chapter 7 of the report talking about how unfair practices could be used to address some of those gaps. Things like, you know, you're collecting the data without actually getting consent in the first place, or perhaps you're unilaterally changing terms, or also click wrap agreements when consumers are required to consent and there's no time or there's no actual ability to disagree with perhaps very extensive data collection. The report discloses that the ACCC, in fact, already has five investigations underway in relation to Google and Facebook, and four of those relate to potential breaches of the consumer law, mm-hmm. including possibly some of the provisions we've been talking about. Does that reflect more generally a view on the part of the ACCC that it might actually be consumer protection and unfair trading laws that deal with the issues raised by these platforms more so than the competition rules? I think we see that there are both competition and consumer issues. I don't know if I'd want to put one above the other. The consumer issues are definitely as important, and perhaps because the law is maybe more prescriptive and Section 46 cases are extremely difficult to establish in Australia, even probably with the law reform, that there has been yeah, the focus on those consumer issues. But I think going forward, there could well be competition or consumer cases. The ACCC has said in the report that it needs to have a long-term dedicated program of capacity building in relation to digital platform markets, not confined to Google and Facebook or any other number of platforms, but to any digital platform. This is, of course, consistent again with approaches being taken by other authorities around the world. But what's really interesting about the proposed digital platforms branch in the ACCC is that there's been a recommendation it have standing powers to Mm. compel the production of information for the purposes of its functions, which are monitoring and investigatory and public reporting functions. That's quite a significant development, isn't it? Because at the moment, compulsory information gathering powers can only be exercised on reasonable belief of there being a potential breach of the rules. Do you see that likely to be some pushback against a grab for power of that kind? I think we would be careful not to describe it as a grab for power. That's certainly not the intention. And I think we were a bit reluctant to have a key recommendation effectively ensuring the ACCC's work in this area. 
But look, the FTC's technology task force, we understand that they are able to go out and collect information, that they have those standing powers. And as you pointed out, we don't. What we do think with these markets are they are extremely opaque and we really want to have a proactive role in this area whereby we're proactively going out and collecting that information. And this is why we've suggested that the way to achieve this, the ACCC to receive a direction from the Treasurer enabling us to have those ongoing powers. There is arguably a precedent in our new electricity branch which followed a very similar inquiry into retail electricity prices. And so I don't think we'll be going out issuing 60 notices in the first 12 months. That wouldn't be the idea. I think the idea would be more that we'd be engaging in some sort of monitoring. And then once we've detected something in results, potentially, we may go, OK, we want to know more about that particular area. So in those circumstances, then we may be collecting information from digital platforms. Again, at the press club, Rod said, we want to have the data to test the algorithms of Google and Facebook. Does that imply that you will be exercising these powers to understand how those algorithms actually work? Because there was concern about the preliminary report's recommendation that there be a regulator that would have access to the algorithmic workings of Google and Facebook. Just what is the appetite for the ACCC to get hold of that type of information, the secret source. I think there was a bit of a misconception with the preliminary report that we were intending to kind of open the black box and rummage around and pull out the secret source. And Mind you, some people want you to open yes, the black oh no, box. Yes, absolutely they say. do. <laughs> um, but that wasn't ever our intention, at least on a standing basis, to be a body that reviews the algorithm every day and wants to see how it's working on a daily basis. That's not at all what we were intending. It is the case that if we were conducting investigations, we would want to know how the algorithm was functioning in relation to a particular matter or investigation that we were looking at. Mm-hmm. We would want to understand what why is it turning out these particular results? Is it a result of self-preferencing? Is it a result of something else? But whether or not that would mean unpacking the algorithm to a particular level of detail mm. would depend on the individual matter that we were looking at. So I wouldn't want anyone to have the impression that we would be unpacking the day-to-day workings of the algorithm for an unlimited time period. That's not at all what we were intending. Transparency is a real issue in these markets. Yeah, I think the point with the digital platforms branch is that these are very complex, opaque markets that we are concerned with. And in a lot of other complex markets, we have the ability, for example, in telecommunications and with electricity, to have annual reports produced, to have monitoring functions. For example, in telecommunications in Australia, we have record-keeping rules which can require them to provide information, the telecommunications companies. So there is a monitoring function there that's not inconsistent with what happens in other industries that are similarly complex So in a sense, we don't see that as being necessarily too radical. Of course, lack of transparency and imbalance in bargaining power go hand in hand. And those were the two broad bases on which the ACCC found that the relevant markets were just not working as efficiently as you might like to see them. Now, you referred, Kate, before to the fact that media organisations are going to get a code of conduct that's enforceable and overseen by ACMA, the media regulator, to deal with their situation. But advertisers had a litany of grievances as well related to not being able to understand how the ranking and display of advertisements work and to verify their performance. 
There's not much solace for the ad industry in this report. Why is it that the ACCC decided not to come down firmly in favour of a similar recommendation for advertisers? I think in relation to advertisers, the ad measurement issue was something we looked at quite closely. It was identified as a real issue in our preliminary report. When we explored it further, we actually thought that the platforms, Google and Facebook, are doing quite a bit to address those concerns. And there was an indication that advertisers could contract with third parties to enable them to deliver that level of ad verification they were looking for. So in that area, we did think there was some movement. However, we did indicate in the report that this was an area which this new branch of the ACCC could look at down the future. As Kate mentioned earlier, it is an extremely opaque market. And complicated. And complicated. I mean, this ad tech supply chain has so many levels with auctions happening at each of these levels. This is why we recommended a particular study into the operation of the ad tech, which delivers those programmatic targeted advertising. So I think we feel for advertisers, although that particular issue of measurement and verification, it looks like it's on the way to being sold by the platforms themselves without direct oversight. We do see an ongoing role for the ACCC in this area and for advertisers' complaints to be directed to the ACCC. And that's something that we could look at under that branch. And the other recommendation which is relevant here is the recommendation for an ombudsman to be responsible for digital platform issues. And that ombudsman, we see it as looking at both consumer issues, for example, scams that take place on digital platforms, and also an issue for advertisers, and probably in particular smaller advertisers who are concerned with how perhaps their advertising campaigns are being delivered on Google and Facebook. So you've referred to complaints. The report suggests that one of the issues for the Commission in this inquiry was a reluctance on the part of some business users to air their grievances publicly or make complaints even to the ACCC. How much of an issue was that and how did you overcome it if you were in fact able to? Yeah, there were a number of advertisers who would come to us with concerns and they were not prepared to make a public submission or to put their name in record. We obviously did our best to encourage them to do so, but for a number of them, we weren't able effectively to get them over the line. In some cases, perhaps similar concerns were expressed by someone else, so we had a basis for that. But we did think it was something that's worth calling out in the report, that because of this reluctance, there was only so much perhaps we could say about these issues. And this is, again, the reason why we think it's an important solution to have an ombudsman. And we also think this is the why we need that ongoing scrutiny under that recommendation for, which is the creation of the branch, for those issues. Obviously, advertisers are a wide and varied bunch. And some of the issues being raised by some parties, other parties were telling us, well, actually, no, the platforms are getting on to solving this issue. So in a sense, it was difficult for us to know exactly how far the issue extended. We are very interested in the ad tech issues, which is why we think another inquiry in this space is warranted. There is a lot more work here to do. It's incredibly complicated. In terms of regulatory measures, I can't not touch on the swathe of amendments proposed by the ACCC to the Privacy Act, which were no doubt a matter of intense consultation with the Office of Australian Information Commissioner. These are amendments, if made, that would apply to the whole economy. Do you have any concern that, relative to the platforms who are already GDPR-equipped, such amendments would, in fact, disproportionately burden the very 
business users, the media organisations in particular, that were the subject of concern in this inquiry? I think there's a lot of concern being expressed that it's very black and white, it's an either-or. It's like we have to have very broad principles-based privacy regulation in order to allow innovation and in order to allow businesses to grow. I just don't accept that it's so black and white. I think that consumers can be provided with choice and basic protections about their personal information and that can still allow businesses to grow and thrive. Of course, the ACCC recognises that access to data and things like artificial intelligence and development of new services is data-reliant a lot these days and it's very important. But we also equally think that providing consumers with the choice and the ability to control actually provides consumers the confidence to participate in the digital economy and if they don't have that confidence or they lose that confidence as a result of scandals like Cambridge Analytica, that kind of thing, that will actually damage the digital economy long term. So we think there is an appropriate balance to be struck there and I think portraying it as an either or very black and white is actually just not that helpful. I think there is a way through that we can see that doesn't overburden businesses but does provide confidence to consumers in the economy that they can participate and be confident that the information they're providing to these third parties who are then providing it possibly to other third parties is going to be treated properly. So you see shoring up privacy protections as really an investment in the consumer trust bank. Mm. Yeah. Consumer trust is vital for the functioning of digital economies. I mean, when you go online and you buy something and you give your credit card details or your personal information, you are trusting that that's going to be handled appropriately and losing that trust would be really detrimental. To the whole economy. Interestingly, though, the report is really cautious on going further in terms of giving consumers control over their data in particular It's quite reserved on the possibility of extending the consumer data right, which is a new right being introduced in Australia to give consumers the power to port their data from one provider to another. Now, that's been a really strong theme in some of the other reports we've referred to, having pro-competition regulation with a particular emphasis on data portability. Why is it that the ACCC was less forthcoming on that particular move? The consumer data right has got the potential to deliver great benefits in terms of innovation as well as competition. And that's something the ACCC is rolling out. We've started with banks and financial institutions and it's going to be rolled out to utilities next. In relation to digital platforms, and we have signalled in the report that it's something the ACCC can consider as part of its programme down the track. We didn't identify it as a key priority in terms of the rollout of this important right because there are a number of potential issues with these markets, which we think may potentially limit its effectiveness. And again, we do need to do more work in this area. But one of the key issues is these markets are prone to network effects. If you wanted to port, so your Facebook profile, to a new platform, if you've got the ability to do that and just say those options were available, you would only do it if your family and your friends were also on those platforms and all the groups that you belong to. It could be your children's school group, it could be any sorts of clubs, societies or support groups you belong to. And we're not sure that investing in the creation of a consumer data right and extending it to, say, social media would overcome that network effect. There's practical issues as well. And when we looked at that and we thought about how it could potentially work, we're trying to work out what sort of data would be subject to this right. 
And on the face of it, from a consumer perspective, it's probably your Facebook profile and it's your timeline and it's your photos. But then what's valuable to a new platform that comes online is the other data which Facebook has on you. And that's the more passive data. It's the fact that Facebook has tracked you across all these other websites. It's all that other information and other apps that Facebook has on you, which is really quite it's extensive. super profile. Yeah, it's extensive. And that's, as a consumer, do I want my new social media account to have that huge long history? I'm not sure I do, but that's what's going to be valuable. And if you think about search services, for example, are you interested in porting all your previous search history? Like if you were searching for a couch three years ago, would you be interested in porting that kind of data to someone else? I'm not sure you would be. So I think there's some very real interesting questions to explore there. I mean, Facebook enables you to download your data at the moment. Anyway. And the reality is people aren't downloading it and shifting it. And you've got to think about the so reasons why So did you get information that. about that, the extent to which the voluntary data transfer project is actually... Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think the answer is it's not being used. And there's a whole lot of reasons why it's not being used. I suspect the practicalities. It's fascinating, though. Everyone should download their data just to see. <laughs> Find out what you don't know about yourself. Exactly. exactly. Or don't want to know, perhaps. Find out what your true digital identity looks like. So, as you've heard... The ACCC has joined the international chorus of concern about the substantial market power of major digital platforms. But it's very much singing from its own song sheet on some of the solutions. Next on Competition Law, we're joined by Associate Professor John Newman from Miami, the suntan state of the USA, talking about why we need to pay more attention to attentional harms in the digital economy. Until then, you can find links to the ACCC's digital platforms inquiry in the show notes, and as always, other resources, links, etc. at competitionlaw.com. Competition Law was produced by writtenandrecorded.com, and I'm Karan Beaton-Wells. See you next time.